Welcome to the Make It Work podcast brought to you by the team behind EpicWorks.com. Make It Work podcast is all about technology, product management and entrepreneurship. Our goal is to learn from the best in the industry. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Make It Work podcast. My guest today is Mina Hekanaho. Uh, Mina, please correct me if I completely no, butchered your no, name. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> no. Awesome. Uh, Mina is an experienced um, design professional who never actually <laughs> studied design. I did not know this, um, but Mina can explain herself later. Um, she's currently working at ResearchGate as head of design. What keeps her motivated after all these years is um, working in a great team on interesting products and solving a mix of new and old problems. During her free time, she likes to do sports. Uh, her current interest is bouldering <laughs> uh, and read crime novels. I'm sure we're going to um, um, get to crime novels as well, as well, but there's a lot of topics before that. Um, Mina, welcome to the podcast. So let's do, um, jump right into it. Um, let's first kind of um, clarify for our listeners. Where do you draw the line or is there a line between design, user experience design, and um, user research? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think um, somehow these lines get blurred and there are also trends kind of in the definition. And I think now, um, at least for us and, and a lot of the, the market also here in Berlin, um, people are often talking about product design. Um, I'm pretty sure that the industrial designers uh, are not happy with this <laughs> definition, but uh, this is what it uh, is mostly called these days. Um, so user experience, design, product design, uh, maybe a, a little bit the same. But uh, basically um, at ResearchGate, for instance, uh, the product design covers uh, the, the journey from the insights to the final delivery. So the designers are actually asked to do quite a lot and asked to master uh, varied um, skills. Um, so they would basically work with potentially a user researcher to get to the insights um, do interviews, uh, export, uh, exploratory uh, research, uh, and then uh, they would uh, work with the product team, take those insights uh, into solutions, um, and then also do the, the last detail of, of pushing the pixel uh, and, and working with the developer to get it to the final product. So it's a, it's a, it's a big requirement, in my opinion. People are asked to be a, a specialist uh, in, in many different areas. And the research part, uh, it's then more uh, potentially about uh, ethnography and, and being able to, <clears throat> I think nowadays the ask is also pretty um, big there. Um, so the researchers are often asked to master both qualitative and, and quantitative methods. Uh, so from, from surveys, even uh, behavioral uh, uh, analysis of, of the data to uh, really being good at interviewing and, and having that kind of like compassionate approach uh, to uh, understanding the problem and getting to the the nitty gritty of the uh, of the problem. Sometimes uh, in the interviews, it's not so easy to talk about your uh, particular problem. So it's a skill also to get to the the heart of that. Uh, I, I like to think about uh, design as a specific craft uh, and user experience as something that uh, is is uh, owned by the whole product team and the organization. So everyone should be interested in in creating the best possible user experience. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and I think um, in some of the teams where you have had the best experience um, with professionals or experts in these different areas, it was the best experience because 
uh, we found yeah. a way to get each other interested in what we were doing um, and how that was contributing to the end product. Um, and I think that that absolutely makes the make the difference. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think that is exactly what we're trying also to do at ResearchGate. So take the, the different disciplines and different perspectives and, and expe uh, expertise areas of these different people and, and uh, get everyone excited about the, the problem that we chose to solve and, and uh, also understand it uh, relatively holistically as, as best as we can and, and then uh, work with those different skill sets uh, to get to the best possible end, end result. So uh, I, I do agree because it's also um, people feel more engaged and, and uh, at the end of the day also, I think, more proud of the end result. Yeah, absolutely. So now um, I'm, I'm always thinking in terms of um, how do you bring all of these, um, let's say, wonderful ideas and practices um, kind of into your lived experience um, and short of having a company that has all the right people and resources um, Usually we are all very constrained. Um, and perhaps as a thought exercise, um, let's, um, let's assume um, we're starting with Epic Works. Epic is a five-person team, right? Um, I'm doing sometimes accounting and sometimes I'm fixing the styles on certain things. And um, sometimes we are fixing the servers and other times we are designing or thinking of new, new things. So we are kind of, um, we don't really have the expertise um, we are learning as we go. Um, and then you have worked at Here Technologies, Nokia, now ResearchGate. Um, there's, a, there's a completely different level where you can um, bring the best possible people um, in, in the industry or in, in the city or country where you are in and take this to a whole new professional level. How do you, um, how do you go from not having anybody but still wanting to do the right thing to eventually doing the right thing if the best possible tools uh, and that's a that's a really good question um i i think my perspective might not be the best because uh my career started at, at nokia but it also started at a time where um i think the company was also learning uh it was really quite a I wasn't in the early days of the of the hype, but I was uh, in in still kind of like a, a smaller part uh, of the organization where it was still a lot of learning, uh, and I think people made mistakes and, and tried to learn from those. Uh, and and then uh, at, at a later stage, I think um, I started to also be more in in contact with people that uh, were on on a different level when it came to professionalism, and I think also the company learned. Um, I would say uh, that if you get the people who are excited, um, I think it's always a good start. Um, and uh, then you learn as a team and you have to kind of be okay with potentially not always making the right choice uh, from the, from the get go. Um, and, and if you get like a, a mix of people who are each potentially interested in, in a specific part or a specific discipline, then uh, there is uh, so much of the learning uh, that can uh, happen and, and nowadays it's it's so much easier than I think it was uh, when I started we have so many materials so many courses so many uh, podcasts uh, and, and meetups and, and things uh, that can happen that can fuel your uh, imagination of what could be um, I am also kind of never been in an organization where I had to be like an evangelist for a design or anything like that. It was always a, a given that uh, design is an important part of the, the 
process. so I, I think also from that perspective, I'm not necessarily the best to answer how to get to the next level. Um, but I think pushing each other, hiring uh, good, talented people. Also, if you have the possibility to scale, um, who will then push each other to the next level? I think uh, those will be the things that help. Um, also, if you have someone uh, potentially like yourself who has a vision of where you want to take this, I think then uh, giving the freedom to those uh, people uh, in those different disciplines to figure out how to get there could be a way um this is a lesson from sports uh, so so we uh, try to make sure that the in- individuals are kind of we build on their strengths and then try to make the the team work uh, well as a whole um so building from the strengths uh, and and building from the interest of these individuals uh with like some kind of a, a framing of the, of the vision of the goal that you want to reach together i think um that's the way i think to to raise the the bar internally um with with the team itself so you kind of like i i believe you could be um feeding off of each other's uh, skills and and uh thinking i i find that happening with me <laughs> I, I, at least yeah yeah so one of the things I, I see people getting um, stuck with, and this is from one of my recent experiences, I was talking to a product owner and they are in a B2B, uh, B2B2C business. So they know they have end users. Um, they, those end users um, somehow give them feedback through app ratings. Um, and when these app ratings are not good, they can't mm-hmm. directly interact with the user uh, because it goes through a third party. But I also see this in many different startups where um, sometimes I hear people, hey, um, I'm not a user researcher. I'm not a user experience designer. Um, how? And yeah. we don't have the budget to hire somebody. Um, and, and they just never get started. And um, although my go-to response is get creative, try something. You know, um, one of the things we did at Here Technologies was going down to, to the Oslo Cafe, which is just downstairs and talking to a bunch of people where applicable. Um, is yes. Am I giving good enough advice or am I just kind of making... Um, <laughs> I think you are. Uh, I think you are. I, I don't think it... Um... I don't think it ever hurt anyone to talk uh, to other people about uh, your prototype or your idea or um, um, what whatever you have or whatever is a question that you want uh to um, ask people. I think also at German Autolabs, I, um, that was the startup that I uh, was working in uh, before I joined ResearchGate. Uh, that is exactly what they did. Uh, they were working on a, a voice assistant uh, and, and they went to, I think, like a, a car shop just next door and just like ask people if, if they have a little bit of time and, and just pitch their idea. I think the important thing is that you try not to <laughs> influence the answer too much. Uh, so just uh, try to keep your uh, questioning uh, as neutral as possible and as open-ended as possible, and then continue to reiterate uh, your research question in different ways so that you get to the um, the bottom <laughs> of the need, or at least a little bit uh, more than the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, I think sometimes I, I, I am very guilty of it myself, which is why I'm not a, a good user researcher. I jump to conclusions about what I think the person meant. So if you can somehow uh, defer that, <laughs> jumping to the, uh, the conclusion, I think that is uh, always uh, something to bear in mind. So go out. I, I think that is uh, good advice. Um, 
try try to ask uh, an open-ended question try to listen as as neutrally as possible and and uh, if you're if you're sure you understood them maybe still ask again uh, if you think um, you might not have uh, understood um, then uh, try to dig deeper into what it could be um, yeah and and I think also then really the the listening part is important um, um, that you don't uh, like you might be uh, emitting a vibe that you're because if you're really interested in your idea, you're really inspired about it. You kind of like give the vibe that the, the person has no other choice to but to answer yes. I'm. This is a really great idea. Um, so, so I, I think uh, if you try to stay uh, somewhat uh, neutral, I think that always helps. Um, yeah, but uh, but I your advice is uh, exactly the same as as I would. And and I think it was uh, also working for uh, German Auto Labs. They were really using that input to to drive the the product ideation to the next uh, stages. Yeah, um, I've done this uh, on a couple of other places as well. I've definitely been guilty of um, being excited <laughs> about Epic when I did the initial interviews. Um, <laughs> but hey, that's my baby. I think I can be excused for that. Um, but I also did it for um, the e-scooter product that we were developing at Lab 1886. And uh, we did a bunch of rounds where um, it was starting with different people within the company because the, the team was um, at its max about 25 people, but there were another 60 people in the company that we could get feedback from. And then we expanded it to the co-working space and did a few rounds of testing with those people. Um, and got a bit of feedback on the app, the scooters itself, the, the entire end-to-end -end experience. And at that point, there were no e-scooters in Germany. So mm -hmm. it was a pretty good crowd to um, get a get a feeding for. Um, by the way, we, we ended up launching all, right. up all places in oh, Helsinki. Cool. Um, yeah. Sadly, it's not running cool. yet. But <laughs> um, so so I've, I've done um, uh, kind of, I've learned from some of the very best. And um, I definitely count you in one of those. What I would um, love to get your opinion on is how does this change over time? I think there's um, this idea of getting it wrong the first time probably happens often, but if you do it more, um, I suppose you would get better at asking better questions or zoning in on r the real issue and getting useful feedback. Um, I, I think you do. Um... I think there are definitely people who are like naturally better at it than others. Uh, like, like I said, I, I probably wouldn't be good at interviewing um, because uh, I, I tend to be a little bit too solution oriented. I, I think that is also a skill that the designers that are younger and who have a little bit more training, they are kind of like, like to really stay with the problem uh, while I'm already like, Oh, so many ideas. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that it is a skill that you can get better at. Uh, I think the listening is, is the most important part of it and then try to kind of, uh, dumb down your own internal voice, uh, that is, uh, jumping to these conclusions or trying to interpret too much. I have also been uh, participating in a couple of field trips with, uh, different agencies where, um, uh, where people were very good at it. I think it, it somehow starts from real real interest in in, in uh, listening uh, to what the other person is saying but also um, the 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 kind of like the capability of continuing to be really present uh, which is something that you can also practice um, and 
then I think uh, it is really there are techniques about drilling down to the uh, the, the problem deeper. Uh, I think it's it's quite um, the users don't always say it directly, and and I think having different kind of props also is good because if you are observing uh, rather than have them explain. So there are many things that we do that are not in this cognitive level. So we are not necessarily able to talk about them, but then uh, when we are using something, for instance, we are actually potentially making mistakes that uh, we're not aware of, of or like uh, the, the user interface can potentially not be the best possible. And, and then uh, you notice those uh, mistakes when the user is actually using them. So, so that's... Uh, definitely the uh, the design part of it that you can fix but if you're thinking about needs user needs uh, i think it's it, it is uh, there are de definitely different kinds of tools that you can use to to try and get different perspectives uh, i think the interview is is definitely uh, not sufficient in some cases uh, um, I, I think at here for instance we have done um, more like long-term studies like diary studies and things like that so learnability of something is for instance a very diff difficult thing to measure if you just meet the person once uh, but yes um, many techniques uh, uh, you can learn um, but i think it's still the listening is the most important skill and and the openness to to whatever the user says uh, as well um, I, I do um, i think the empathy type of thing is like a, a little bit more like a a uh, hyped word uh, that I don't particularly like myself uh, <clears throat> because I think uh, our empathy is more in this listening and being present and, and uh, openness um, because we do come from this perspective. Like you go into this interview from this perspective, this is your baby and this is um, my product. Uh, so you are already somehow not in the user's mindset. And I think it's important to remember that as well, um, that we are coming from the, the product part uh, ourselves absolutely i think one of the um, best sentences that helped me calibrate how i have um, shared my knowledge with other people or tried to do user yeah. interviews or try to be supportive um, to the actual pros in that process is that uh, people often um, say one thing think another think yes. another, <laughs> and do something entirely different um, and it is so true it is so true um, and we can definitely influence what they say yeah. much too easily, right? This excitement will make you say, hey, this is great, go for it. But you probably will never sign up um, or because I just never tried to figure out. Yes, even have I think problem. especially if you are looking for some kind of commitment, uh, like payment, for instance, it's based on like everything uh, I read just relatively recently and I tried out. Uh, uh, this willingness to pay is, is, a, is a question that is very difficult to answer. So it's, it's uh, or at least uh, the answer that the users give is, is uh, not particularly trustworthy. Uh, so I suppose there's also limitations, right? Um, there are certain things where you never have proof yes. until the act happens, right? Um, you can have all sorts of promises on, uh, yes, I would use this product and pay for it but no that is no it's not no, that's sales. exactly what i meant as well uh, but it op applies to other things as well where there's a significant commitment it doesn't have to be money but uh, and, and you mm -hmm. might say also like uh something like yes i i can see myself using it but there's still like a hurdle uh, like if you have already something that 
basically does the same job moving into another similar thing i think it has to be significantly better or you have to perceive it as a significant improvement to something that is of value to you for you to change so doing that conversion is also very difficult Um, yeah so um switching to to design itself and um as you said you often focus a bit more on um the solution how do you um how do you evaluate or look for evidence that your design is working i'm i'm assuming you you do still do some sort of research right you perhaps you look for yeah is this design gonna work rather than um going to, to perhaps the very first question this is much more you had a problem we have designed a solution um Yes, I think it also depends. Uh, but uh, if I talk a little bit about how we do at ResearchGate, where we have the benefit of having a, a large user base and, and really good measurement systems, uh, uh, I think we are very lucky. So we do a lot of uh, user feedback sessions of different kinds. So Imagine that there was this user research that happened for us to get to the insights that determine the problem we want to solve. And then when we go into this uh, solution building or solution creation phase, uh, we would also have potentially varied solutions. Let's say we have five ideas that we think are great for whatever problem we chose to try to solve. Um, we could, for instance, do a, a little survey. Uh, we often use this uh, Kano uh, um, method, which is about desirability of, of the solution. Now, I probably said something wrong, but for me, it is about the desirability of the solution uh, kind of in, in relative sense. So we put out, for instance, five different concepts and uh, ask the users uh how how much they like them so we gauge a little bit uh, what out of these could be uh, the best uh, uh, solution for the, the problem at hand and uh, then we go deeper um, so if, if um, let's say two or three of them uh, get some interest from the users uh, then we prototype more and and uh, also typically uh, we can evaluate a little bit uh, if, if some of them are risky um, based on like, is it is it something novel? Is it something, a, a new behavior that we want to introduce to the platform? Or is it somehow risky in terms of it's going to require a lot of development to build it uh, in, in some kind of a satisfying way? Um, so then we go deeper and, and build prototypes and, and put them also out for the users to see uh, if they understand what we're trying to do. Uh, and then typically we uh, we do build iteratively, so we try to figure out the MVP uh, minimum viable <laughs> version of it uh, that uh, we believe communicates to the user what uh, we would like them to understand, and and then see if that actually gets traction. So there's typically some kind of a goal. Um, so it, it's quite many things, uh, <clears throat> and and even uh, if it if it if it gets out to the product. Uh, we will still continue to iterate uh, to see uh, and, and learn from the behaviors themselves. Uh, so at, at ResearchGate, I, I would say this is the, the first uh, environment where I have the pleasure of all this user data. And, and it's one of the reasons I joined, to be honest. It's, it's like uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the part that I wasn't um, so familiar with from before. Um, we had uh, either uh, B2B products or uh, concepts uh, that uh, were to be launched or at Nokia, it was a a product uh, and uh, you always need to kind of launch it holistically uh, the whole embedded part of it to see how well it works 
of course, you ha can have prototypes, but it, it's a little bit more in the space of what you said earlier, that you have to actually see whether it works or not. So the feedback loop at ResearchGate is very fast, uh, while at Nokia it was maybe like two years sometimes. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like the ideal process, yeah. um, as you Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy it. Uh, um, it. It doesn't mean that we never make mistakes, but at least we try um, try to keep it uh, close to the user. And, and uh, it, it is humbling, uh, which is also what I like. Is is like, uh, like there is a like certain gut feeling that you have, and and uh, it can sometimes uh, result in design that you feel is uh, so boring, but. But uh, typically, it works the best because people are so used to conventions. There's um, two things I want to um, focus in on, and you can answer in whatever order. Um, <laughs> I will just say it so that I don't forget. Um, now, uh, you mentioned different stages, right? So um, floating an idea um, based on the feedback, um, doing some prototyping, checking in with the, with the um, potential users again building up the MVP, launching that, and even improving that on based on the feedback. Um, th there's a lot of decision points here, right? So at each point, you're deciding whether these five or 20 opinions or 200, if you if you have the audience, um, is enough to go on to the next stage. Um, and um, perhaps there's a bit of an art and a science to this process. Um, um, so that's one thing where I would love to get your feeling on how do you go through that process. Um, and then the other thing um, is how do you work with or collaborate with product management on this? Because in a way, you also have to at each point decide whether you push for this thing to be included um, or do you go for another round of testing? And then once it's launched, how do you get them to, again, give you the resources to, to improve upon that? Or is there a pull system there? Um, I think that's, uh, again, another part where I have been uh, quite lucky. Um, so I think, um, like, especially the most recent uh, experiences, uh, I think there has been quite... Uh, uh, quite an agreement, and and to to kind of answer one of your questions, uh, I think the relationship with the product manager and and potentially the technical lead or, or whoever is the engineering counterpart here is really important. So you have kind of the the, the three perspectives uh, of um, the business uh, and the technology and and the 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 user and the user could be represented also uh, by the the researcher. Um, but if you have these uh, three different uh, counterparts and then they're on the same page, I think typically this conversation is not super difficult. Um, but of course, uh, it, it does require um, some kind of uh, shared idea of what is what is this minimum viable product. And I think that is an art. I, I don't think it's ever completely risk-free, uh, regardless of how much uh, user feedback uh, <clears throat> you get and and uh, try to try to get there's still the uh, element of risk you're still taking a risk that uh, what you're trying to communicate um, is is not uh, enough or it's it's not uh, interesting or um, it's it's not working um, to the extent that the users expect um, so so I I um, I don't actually remember any examples from a recent past where I have been uh, pushing for something that the product manager didn't agree on. <laughs> um, I think one of the things uh, that we started, uh, which is sometimes uh, 
the, the problem is that we have product teams who have specific topic ownerships uh, and, and they are very focused on a specific topic, but uh, no one is kind of taking care of the product as a whole. So for instance, ResearchGate product is already quite old. So you can imagine that it has tentacles, uh, different parts uh, that are not so well taken care of. So I think this is more the, the part where I can, uh, I, I am actually pushing a lot more is like, can we take care of these parts that are, no one's done anything on for two two years or something like that. So it's a little bit like technical debt. I, I uh, We accumulate UX debt uh, during the course of the product uh, life cycle. And, and I think this is where I am sometimes a little bit lonely in trying to push for these things. Uh, but yeah, at ResearchGate, we have also uh, a little bit of a process for this, uh, which has proven to be, from my perspective, successful because we have tried to address some of these things as well. But uh, but I think this is like a, a shared uh, concern with uh, the, the tech uh, part of the organization uh, as well. Uh, so the more you work on stuff and try to build fast and, and uh, do these experiments, it sometimes accumulates this debt. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to also understand yeah. uh, the, the business part of it, because I think, uh, um, I think, yeah, this, this collaboration is, is at the heart of, of uh, making these decisions in the best possible way. So of late, I've been thinking a lot about this kind of um, hierarchy of goals. Um, and I don't quite yet have the have a good formulation of it, but in a way, everything comes down yeah. to the business goals, right? And most business goals come down to get more users, keep the current ones, right? Um, or And business continuity, right? Um, but that somehow at some point gets translated into sales goals and product goals. Um, and then product goals for me, personally include the engineering and experience goals and, and all of that because that's that's how the product is experienced by the users but when a company gets big enough you have product management or product building goals or product feature goals versus product infrastructure and architecture goals which goes to engineering and product experience goals which would uh, come to you and somehow you would need to work together to make sure that enough of the right things get that yeah. attention as well yeah i think it's it's uh it's it's pretty much uh what i see as well i'm mostly always thinking about this uh in this triad of of the team level but uh but i think you can translate it to to this higher level of the organization where it then becomes kind of more like a strategic planning how do you balance these goals uh so that uh so that we um, have, a, let's say, <laughs> some kind of like a, a shared uh, resourcing plan as, as well, or, or shared uh, topic space uh, where, uh, where we can try to um, maybe get the best synergies out of all of these areas. But they do contribute, they're somehow interdependent. And, and then they are somehow, um, if, if, you, um, if you want to push for user value, um, in all of these areas, if you if user value is somehow at the heart of what you're trying to achieve and, and get the revenue from kind of like selling that user value in, in, in one way or another, um, I think then uh, they could be somehow locked into these. But of course, uh, resource constraints will always be there. I, I think uh, that is then kind of like, how do you balance between these different parts? Uh, and, and sometimes... Um, Product goals are more important. Sometimes uh, 
the business uh, needs a, bit, a little bit more of a push and sometimes it is the experience. Um, like now we have actually committed uh, for the first time during my career, we have committed with the letter to the users in the beginning of the year uh, of the things that we're going to release by the end of the year. And, and one of those things is actually a, a visual refresh of the, of the product. And uh, uh, I think this is that you, you, you start when you start accumulating this debt and you realize that maybe your product looks a little bit outdated, that actually has a, a ripple effect uh, um, to the other parts of it. And uh, when that threshold of that kind of like small, small pains is big enough, then also uh, things that are not necessarily always revenue driven have to be tackled. I don't know if that answer made any sense, but uh, but I think it's still uh, I'm I'm I think that uh, the 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 balances shift and the hierarchies shift uh, depending on on kind of like what is the biggest pain uh, with your um, triad as well of the business uh, product and tech and and the user experience. The answer makes total sense, and thank you for um, putting it in no, much better words and much, much no. more um, sensible ways. Um, what I take it actually for for startups even is um, is to think of if you need to move and move the needle on on a certain problems um, the answer may be in a new feature the answer may be uh, reimagining how a certain thing works the answer may be simply improving the user experience or the design the answer may be in improving the infrastructure and sometimes it might be all of them other times it might be one or the other and Perhaps that is the that is the thing to to consider whenever you're trying to solve a problem. It's not always building a new feature, and I want to emphasize this because it is one of the biggest complaints you hear in the tech industry, especially when people talk about agile and product management versus blah blah blah. That um, you can go easily wrong if you think the answer yeah, to everything is I, a I new completely feature. agree. <clears throat> and of course, uh, it, it also depends a little bit what we mean by feature, but if we mean it from the traditional product management perspective, um, like if I think about ResearchGate being, uh, again, a, a relatively mature product already, it's actually not super easy to introduce a completely new behavior on an existing product. Uh, and then I think uh, I, I remember sometimes reading that uh, a typical user uses like, I don't know, 20, 30% of the feature set that is in the product. So if you're just continuously building something new without somehow uh, creating like a cohesive environment for those features to coexist uh, and, and like somehow give an easy <laughs> first door or face to the, the product or the perception of the product that you want to communicate, I think those features will just be lost. They will be somewhere in the in the in the settings or deep in the hierarchy of, of uh, what you're trying to do, um, and I think also like uh, during the um, ten years of, of of the product, you already tried so many things. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think you're absolutely right, but it is also a, a mindset that uh, is a, is a that you need to somehow adopt throughout, like what could be another way for us to solve this or, or what could be another way to address this? Uh, and and uh, yeah, I like that thought. Um, for, for us in particular, we have a lot of data and, and like this uh, making the data better and, and do a little bit more machine learning and stuff like that, surfacing it better is, is probably more often going to be a better solution than adding a, a new feature as such. 
to the to the surface of the product. Absolutely, I think if you have the data, you can. Um, I think we are only starting to scratch the surface of what is possible um, um, in terms of improving products, whether it's an experience or infrastructure or feature usage or improvements. That um, this is going to be revolutionary. Um, while you don't have the data, I think we're going to do something quite radical, and I'm going to say it out in public, and we cool. will see how this um, <laughs> transpires. We we are actually going to remove oh, a couple cool. of features from Epic, um, and this this came about I think a couple of years ago. I read some article where it said everybody tells you what to add, and you yourself can easily fall into that trap of, you know, let's add this thing, and probably that'll work, and so on. Um, oh, that's cool. We're gonna remove some things, and we will see what happens. So, there. can I ask a question now? <laughs> because this is super interesting. This is uh, definitely uh, this is also what I meant with the the UX debt. Uh, it's like if you have too many of those tentacles, your product becomes hard to communicate as a whole, and and you need to really. It's it's actually a, a very important product uh, decision to to make. It's like how do you want the users to perceive your product. Uh, and, and we are also trying to remove those tentacles. So can I ask a question? What is the decision-making uh, like criteria for removing a feature for you? So for me, um, as I said, Epic is a very small team, right? So I'm kind of um, playing multiple roles here and hopefully doing a good enough job. Um, the, the criteria for me when removing a feature and specifically uh, for the ones that we will be removing, one was... Um, um, something that we set up in Epic was we release things uh, with the experimental label um, and we kind of don't worry too much about it. Um, it's kind of coming from my belief that that is only one more step in mm, the yeah. user research process. Um, so, so we got kind of enough yeses, let's put it out there. Um, and then um, if there's not enough usage, so we have right now, we have the horizontal timeline, the vertical timeline, and the kind of Gantt chart-like stacked view. Um, there are different views on the same same thing, right? Your goals laid out in time um, and showing the, the statuses and so on. The Gantt chart view we released as an experiment. Um, a few people had asked for it. Um, I prototyped it, we released it. Um, it mm. gets the least usage out of the um, three. Um, and since we can't identify individual users, it may just be that the three people who explicitly ask for it are the ones using it. Um, or it may be that it's um, um, just somebody trying it out from time to time. And we're going to remove it. We do have a proposal for improving it, but I don't see yeah. enough reason to invest more in it. Um, and by removing it, uh, I think we want to trigger some, some feedback. Um, and yeah. see if somebody actually complains or maybe it just wasn't good yeah. enough and they don't miss it and the other uh, features provide more value. So kind of um, um, for me, it's it's the, the usage. And if there's not enough feedback, feedback isn't clear enough or ambiguous, um, then kind of our efforts mm -hmm. also stay ambiguous. Um, you know, we might do something about it if I'm in the mood for it or somebody sees it and does wants to do something. And it kind of ambles along, taking attention and focus away from something else that is yes. perhaps much more useful. Yeah, I think I think it's it's good. I think it's also really uh, important to remember um, when you were talking about it. I was reminded by another story from uh, Here Maps Times, 
uh, that the people who are typically asking for something, they are the most engaged users and, and they might have very advanced needs that are then not necessarily going to be those uh, mass appeal needs. Uh, I remember also we were working on the here maps and, and people were asking for more waypoints. Uh, and, and I think it was like uh, we had maybe, I don't remember anymore, but maybe two or, or three that you could add. And people was like, this is not enough. I want to plan my road trip uh, south of France or something like that. And then we realized that at the end of the day, it was yeah. like uh, 0. some percent uh, of, of people who actually use so many. And it was a, a, a more complicated thing, definitely from many perspectives. Uh, and at uh, uh, ResearchGate, we're also doing a little bit of removal, this uh, UX debt. And, and one of those things is this thing that we call RG score, which is like a score of how impactful the uh, researcher is. And it was uh, very influential. It was gamified and, and there was a lot of problems related to it. But it's it's a scary thing to move uh, remove because people have a love and hate relationship to it. Uh, and and it, it might cause a backlash, but uh, but I think you do have to. Like if, if your strategy is shifting and you want to do something else, this removal part is very important. So go for it, <laughs> I think is going to be good from the resourcing, but also from the product perspective. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it is very important to, um, it, it's also perhaps um, fits more into my way of thinking about product, which is you, you have to, um, you have to stay in connection with what the people need. And often yeah. those needs will also change. Um, and if you accumulate too many uh, things from the past, they start coloring yeah. your your thinking in the present. You know, um, if you suddenly have now five different views, and um, then the next thing you can think of is a sixth different view rather than you know three that really serve ninety nine percent of the users. Um, so it's it's a bit of a, a ruthless thing to do to to kid a feature. Um, but if enough people would yeah. ask for it, we would simply bring it back, and we will bring it back better than better than before. So it's it's a wake up call to ourselves. And um, yeah, I agree. It's users. definitely harder than adding, uh, and and that is kind of like it's the it's it requires a certain kind of diligence. But yes, I would still recommend. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are kind of um, coming to around forty five uh, minutes mark, and um, I'm just gonna ask. Um, I would love to do part two and part three, um, and perhaps we could bring this one to a close and then dive into some more topics another time. Yes, would that be it okay? it was fun, Balash. I'm, I was freaking out, but I think you're making this very easy. Well, this is not over yet because I do want to um, talk about one more topic before we close. Um, it's been a pleasure, by the way. Um, you have been wonderful. So the last topic um, I wanted to bring in was what happens when um, the the product goal or KPI and um, engineering goal or KPI and the, the user experience designer's goal or KPI differ? Um, and um, I'm thinking in terms of two things. One, um, bad design and um, dark UI. Um, I don't know what the specific term for this is. I, I booked my flights here on Ryanair yeah. full of dark UI, right? It, has um, and it's also bad design in in many places. But um, so, can you share some examples and and your because um, your reaction? <laughs> you have a lot to say about uh, this. Actually, it, it's it's a it's a really good question. I'm not sure if we need to wait until part two to talk about it. Uh, but uh, but I think, uh, like I said, uh, a lot of my personal experience 
<clears throat> has been a little bit slower feedback loop. So I haven't had so much of this, to be honest, um, because I have been working a lot in embedded products, which where it's a pretty simple sales type of uh, process. You buy this product or you don't buy it. And then it's the, the darkness is more on the marketing department, I guess. Uh, and, and with also, uh, I would say here is a, was a little bit more, um, uh, let's say less, driven by these kinds of goals uh, so I, I haven't had this uh, so much um, however uh, I, I think uh, it is uh, something that definitely happens especially if you have to do a lot of user acquisition or if you have to do a specific like this kind of conversion like your Ryanair experience um, and uh, some growth uh, tactics definitely have been more aggressive than others and I think um, also at ResearchGate, I'm going to be honest, we do have some older uh, dog patterns that we're trying to now get rid of. Um, this is something that uh, is, again, part of this negotiation process. Um, but I think it's a harder one. And I think then the company needs a, a strategy on this as well. It's like, how far are we willing to go uh, for this kind of stuff? Because there is backlash. And I think uh, at ResearchGate, uh, there was like six, uh, seven years ago, there was backlash, and and that backlash is still alive on the internet. So I would, I would be very careful uh, with these kinds of things. Also, I, I just recently, uh, I think two weeks ago, heard that there is uh, something happening on the EU level on this. Uh, so there, there will be, I think, more control at least on the EU level on the dark patterns. Uh, um, I think we have to make sure that people are making uh, more educated decisions about uh, specifically about purchasing and uh, getting out of a purchase decision. So I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's hard uh, because uh, as an individual person in a company, uh, it's hard to fight against these kinds of things. So that's why I'm also saying that the company should have a, a definition of, of where their where their dark pattern ethics what is the threshold and, and where their dark pa pattern ethics lie um, I, I I think uh, being very aggressive it will hurt um, it will hurt uh, the relationship between the, the trust uh, between you and your user so. That is <laughs> that is my opinion, and and maybe if you're willing to take that risk, then uh, that is again a company decision. But uh, but I'm 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 sure that uh, there's going to be some suffering uh, at the end of the day as well. It's it's hard to get the trust back, actually. So I would love to talk a bit more about trust and how to get it back. Um, <laughs> so many things come to my mind, but um, we're going to wait for part two. Um, I have two more questions. Um, the last one is. Um, well, it's going to be the last one. Um, I would also love to dive deep, deep in part two and part three, um, because I'm pretty sure there will be a part three about really good design and um, everything that Apple did and Steve Jobs did in the beginning, because in a way they kind of bucked the trend in so many ways and um, almost denigrated users or people um, um, to create something extraordinary as well. Um, can you just, uh, for, for us, um, share a bit about um, a good example of design, whether it's a physical product or something else, and why you think it's good. Um, and then we go to the last question, and that'll be well. Um, so. That um, I am a fan of Apple products. 
<laughs> it's it's such a, a cliche. I'm uh, not necessarily uh, always thinking that everything that they do is is amazing, but uh, the the industrial design, um, the the holistic approach to everything that their brand promises <laughs> to the industrial design and and to at least parts of the user experience, uh, specifically performance wise. Um, uh, they are still a good example of, of uh, uh, good design for me. Um, Apple, of course, especially the software side, they have this uh, tentacle UX debt uh, com complexity problem. So it's it's not uh, without its problem. But I, I have to say it's it's still one of those things uh, that I would uh, take with me if the building is on fire would be my computer and my phone. <laughs> so so it is, uh, I think, also the user value and, and the kind of the, the relationship that I've built with these products over the years. Um, so I, I would uh, say that. But but it is it's a complex one uh, because uh, design is functional. It's it's uh, it's a functional it's it's a tool um, and, and design is um the, the, the functionality and, and the, somehow the seamlessness of, of that is a big part of it. Uh, so it's, it's tying into this value, functional, emotional um, relationship uh, as well for me. Um, I, I do acknowledge, though, that design is so much about compromises that uh, <laughs> it's, it's not just uh, one person. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, I, I can... I can dig a little bit deeper into what was that particular crux of the iPhone. I have thought about it a lot <laughs> because it started a, a downfall of a particular Finnish company. <laughs> so something uh, for another time. Last question for today, Mina. Um, if you had a giant billboard and a lot of millions of designers would walk past it, oh, what would you put on it? Um, stay, stay humble. <laughs> That will be the message. Stay humble. <laughs> That's what we'll put on that giant billboard. Mina, thank you so much. Um, it's been really wonderful, and um, I can't wait to do the, the next parts because there's so much to unpack here, and um, it's, the thank conversation you, has been it wonderful. Was, uh, it was a pleasure, pleasure, even though I freaked out, but it's still nice. Thank you for taking <laughs> me out of my comfort zone. Um, my pleasure. It's um, you. You seem to be very very much at ease with all of this um so uh, and i think our listeners will will see that and hear that as well so to everybody thank you so much and see you thank all you. soon Bye. again ciao thanks for listening to the make it work podcast if you enjoyed this episode feel free to like comment and share if you also want to make it work stay tuned for more episodes